One of the things we strive for is, you know, I believe consistency is simplicity. Welcome to The Wrap, Resource of as a Podcast. I'm Nick Cressy, Managing Director of Strategic Partnerships, joined by Kyle Hall, our Lead Consultant and Director of Operations. Each week, we will bring you a conversation with leading industry players to spotlight emerging technology, share best-in-class carrier insights, and discuss how innovative tech is driving businesses forward. Whether you're an operating partner at a private equity firm, a CIO, or other business leader, tune in weekly as we share insights from the expanding playing field of digital transformation. Today, we're joined by Philip Talamas, CTO of H2 Health, also a mentor to both Nick and I. When, when both of us transitioned from the military, Philip was our first manager. Learned a lot from him. In this podcast, we learn a lot more. Excited to have you here. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Wrap, Philip Talamas, CTO at H2 Health. He is a resource of alumni, and I'll be honest with you, he's a mentor of mine because he's the first person I work for coming out of the military. What's going on today, Philip? Uh, not much, Nick. Not much. Good to see you. It's great to see you. It's great to catch up, man. Let's set the scene for everyone. Tell us about where you're at today. Tell us about H2 Health, but even before doing so, take us back. Let us know a little bit about Philip. Oh, you want the story. Let's see. So I started working, well, I won't go that far back, but you know, I, I do consider myself pretty fortunate. I've worked in several different industries. I actually worked, started working for a financial firm, commodities, in the commodity business. And I did that for a while and then transitioned from there to media, online media for a company called 777 Film, did some work online at the time of the internet boom. It was great having moviephone.com out there. And from there, I transitioned to the legal industry, worked there, a couple different positions. And from there, went back to the media. And then, then all of a sudden in 2014, Resourceive came along. And I saw it as an opportunity to help provide CTOs and CIOs some information and be a partner for them as we apply technology, doing what I loved. Throughout my career, I've always enjoyed taking technology and applying it in a way that either helped the business to grow or cut costs. I really hate waste. So when we when I started at, at Resourceive, we were really focused on cost optimization. And at my time there, we actually pivoted and moved more into general IT strategy and really helping our, our partners to improve their technology. And that was just a perfect play for me. Coming from my previous C-level positions into a place where I could help other C-level people optimize their spend and provide some technology strategy was, was really beneficial to me. And I did that for, I think, about five years. And then along came a buddy of mine who was starting a new, actually buying a carve out from another entity. Some company had 50 so physical therapy companies and they wanted to sell them because it was a non-core asset. So his idea was let's buy them and then let's, let's grow the heck out of them. And he needed a technology person to come and, and help set, the, set up the environment and take it from there. So we started that about 18 months ago, and that's where I've been. And it's been an awesome ride so far. We've gone from the initial 50 clinics. We expect to close the year with about 120. And in the next two to three years, we expect to double that as well. Oh, that's beautiful. And it's private equity owned, correct? Yes. Yes. Awesome. So tell us about that day to day. What's that look like? I mean, that's, that's explosive growth. 
What's landing on your lap? So there's three things that drive my day. Being that we are still, you know, it's funny, we're, we're a startup that has over 500 people in this particular division, and you need some significant infrastructure, some of which we were able to create very quickly and some of which we're actually still building. So the three things that I focus on every day are security. That's probably my, my biggest one, the one that I'm always thinking about. Then process improvements and technology improvements. Since the previous company was an on-core asset, or was carved out, there wasn't a lot of investment there. So they had some very good systems, but they weren't necessarily up to date. For example, our EMR was three generations behind. So over the last 18 months, we've done three major upgrades. So we're, we're trying to ensure that the technology is, is as cutting edge as it can be. And then just general process. It's not always about technology. Sometimes there, there's opportunity to just review a process and see what you can do to improve it. So those are the three pillars that I spend most of my time focusing. Awesome. Before we dive into those, I'd, I'd love to hear how COVID impacted you. I mean, you guys didn't slow down. What did your day-to-day look like? Did it change at all? Yeah. So, well, one of the advantages of starting a company in, in February of, of 2020 is that we we knew from the start we weren't ever going to have a server. So everything we did was in the cloud. So we had already started our process and we were migrating and we were, we were only six weeks into it, but our key systems were up and running. Our Microsoft Office was up and running. Our payroll and our EMR were all running and they were all in the cloud. The problem was the 50 clinics, individual locations weren't up and running on the H2 Health network. They were still on the prior company's network. So we had to migrate all of those. And the original intention was that my team would travel out to each of the locations and go and do that migration. That wasn't possible with COVID. So from a technology perspective, we had to find local techs. We had to worry about procurement. We had to worry about getting those techs to go in and do the work. And in certain places in an entire state, the physical therapy was deemed non-essential and we had to close the clinics for four to six weeks. So it basically turned our, our migration on its side, but we, you know, we had to pivot and we still were able to get it done. It took six months instead of the three months that we were projected, but we, we were able to complete it. In the middle, we were worried that our contact center was... We had a traditional contact center. It had an office-based LAN, WAN. We hadn't yet migrated, I'm sorry, an office-based phone system. We hadn't yet migrated to the new cloud-based phone system. And I was worried that one day we were going to be told someone in that office had COVID and the entire office would have to go, go home. So over the course of a weekend using the cloud-based infrastructure, we built a very basic contact center just called distribution system and set it up so that way all of our 15 agents were able to access the system for wherever they were. That one was that one was a big pivot to to change and change every to change everyone's use of the phone system over the course of a weekend and get the training and and through the course of the whole thing procurement was a mess. You could not get headsets, you couldn't get video cameras even to this day our computer costs have gone up more than 25% Every time we reorder something, there's at least a 10% increase. So the whole supply chain was really disrupted. I think we're probably another six months to a year before it settles back down and we start to see it 
coming back to back to a normal price range. But that long story short, it was interesting. It added some complexity what we were doing, but you know, you had to we had to find a way to move move forward, and that's what we did. That's great stuff, Philip. Man, really been in, been in the trenches in, in some of those projects over you know over the last eighteen months. But so so happy to hear how you how you've come through it. No surprise, right? I mean, seeing you in those sort of situations, right, and 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 always see you come through and, and deliver. So appreciate the rundown. I mean, what's it looking like now? You know, I mean, so you you've got those acquisitions that you're bringing on. You know, do you feel like you're you're at a position where you've kind of got a model and a methodology built up as you bring on new ones now? You know, is it more more streamlined? Do you still have pieces you're struggling with there? What is that like? So we've we've learned a lot. We've created a lot of process in the last year and a half. We spent the the other interesting thing about COVID is it created a lot of opportunities. The original intention was 2020 would be the year of infrastructure and we would build our infrastructure. And if something interesting came along, we would start to increase our clinic count and do an acquisition or two. As it turned out, because of COVID, there were a lot of people looking to get out of the market. As a result, we purchased five different companies before the end of the year. And that, that wasn't planned. And so we, had, we started immediately with our process to be able to migrate those firms over. Now, when we were doing the initial conversion, we didn't have to worry about the EMR. So it was really just changing the plumbing, changing the phones, changing the computers. And there's work there, but we didn't have to worry about moving too much data. When you're changing the EMR, you have to worry about the end user training. You have to get in a little bit deeper. So we've been developing that process. One of the things we strive for is, you know, I believe consistency is simplicity. So when we go into an acquisition, it's just easier to bring them on to our systems and have keep growing our systems, get some scale out of them, and be able to support them in an easier fashion. It's hard to do. One of the acquisitions we did, we walked into an environment where they had just signed a three-year deal for some from some services that we didn't need. And we have to figure that out. And you know, when you when you want to be cost sensitive, you you don't want to just write a check for early termination fees or, or to cancel a contract. And but ultimately, you know, my strategy is you got to be consistent because it keeps support costs and everything else down. Um, so we had, in that particular case, we worked with the vendor and got some alternative services, so we didn't have to write a big check. But we are still developing that process. I wouldn't say it, it's totally smooth yet, but it works. We do great. The, the, the biggest thing we focus on when we're doing these things is communication and training. The reality is the technology is the easy part because you know the team understands it and they're there working and they're, they're going to get that part done. But you, you never know. You, you want to make sure that everyone else is, that the end users understand what's coming, that they understand the new systems. Change is painful, and you want to minimize that as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, you guys are really a platform play at this point, right? I mean, you've got you've got your hub, you've got your systems and processes, and most of most of the acquisitions, I think, in our conversation, probably probably all of them, really, at this point, you know, are ones that you're looking and saying, "Hey, we are we are technically, you know, in, in from an IT perspective, operationally and technically more proficient, pull into our systems." And then you're going to pick up some of those some of those value adds and streamlines, and that's part of how you're creating the value with these companies. I mean, really, really exciting to see. And you know, when I've when I've worked with platform companies, it seems like the IT function is 
almost more important. It seems like one of the places that some of the efficiencies are picked up the quickest with these acquisitions. Has that that been your experience? Yes. You know, because we're still growing so much, we're fortunate that all of our acquisitions really, we we are starving for talent as well. So I think in in some of the, some platform plays and some other industries, you may have a lot of resource changes, which creates optimization. But fortunately, we haven't we haven't encountered much of that. And anyone we can bring on board, we we use. So a lot of the savings really are coming from being able to leverage much less expensive infrastructure and 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 a better ability to market and be out in the marketplace. You know, we we just did an acquisition of a company a few weeks ago that has no website. And it, it is very, they're very remote and it, it is definitely a word of mouth area, but you would still think they, you know, they'd have a few Google reviews or a website or, or some way to get contact information. So it's something else that we bring, you know, we, we bring an organization of support where they can, they can stop worrying about technology, marketing, all those things, and they get to go off and do, do what they want to do, be, be help, help patients and improve their patients' plan of care. You know, when to transition a little bit, when you and I were working together, I remember a lot of flights to PE firms and kind of serendipitous. Now you're working for a portfolio company inside a PE firm. Tell us one kind of what you learned about the PE space here, how to service IT leaders in portfolio companies and and how that serviced you in your current role. I think there's a couple things there. You know, first is speed is very important. You know, the private equity firms, we, I mean, we're there to help the patients. It's part of our mission. But, you know, there's also the profit component and you got to be able to move quickly and, and, and create the strategy that helps them to, to, to meet that. And I, I do remember, you know, I previously was a CTO before coming to Resourceive. And I remember being in, the, in that position. So when I was working, working there, working at Resourceive, I was always trying to think about what would I do in that person's shoes? How can I help him with some ideas that I have and really working with him to build trust so that way they'd understand what I was trying to accomplish or be there to help them. And of course, the key, one of the biggest components is just listening, really listening to what their objectives are to see how how you can help with the technology expertise that you have and align it to their needs. That's great. You know, I want to I want to loop back to something, Philip. You mentioned you know one of your biggest things in a day is security, rightfully so. I think I think most most IT leaders answer that answer that these days. You're in a little bit of a challenging space, you know, from what I've from what I've observed in the company size, right? You're definitely large enough to have a, a very large kind of a, attack vector, right? A lot of entry points. You've got a lot of headcount, but you're in that place where you know you're not at the enterprise level where you can build a a 20 person sock. All right. So, I mean, how are, how are you approaching that? You know, kind of given the shortages in, in security talent available, you know, and, and obviously your, your consistent focus on cost optimization. Yeah. It's the security arena right now has so many eyes on it and there's so much, there's so many different solutions out there. We could spend our entire IT budget on just security. So you really, and, and that's very hard. It's very hard to say no to something. But what you have to do is really dig down and think about where and analyze what your exposure is and what you can do to protect it. And being that, you know, we have, we, we process with credit cards. That one, it was actually relatively easy. You know, we make sure we don't maintain any credit card information at rest. So that's entirely handled by our processor. 
helps to minimize a risk there. Doesn't doesn't eliminate it, but minimizes it. But we have patient records. We have tens of thousands of patient records. And the last thing we want is a breach in our EMR. It is cloud-based, so it's managed by someone else, but we have all the endpoints. We have hundreds and hundreds of endpoints which are accessing it. So what we really focus on is keeping the desktop as secure as possible and end user training. We, we have a pretty lockdown environment. It's, it's, as I mentioned earlier, it's very consistent. And I worry less about that kind of attack, someone trying to, to attack our perimeter. The thing I worry about the most is an end user misunderstanding an email and clicking on a link. And you know, we, ha- we have two or three layers of tools. Um, we have an email gateway. We have virus protection. We have Microsoft Office. There's like three different ways that we could be protected, but it's still possible for someone to get in and, and do damage just by clicking on a link. And even with all the money we spend on those items, that's still a big concern. So we supplement it with training. Every user has to go through quarterly trainings, and we have about 15 or 20 minutes of videos that we send out to help educate them. You know, I can't tell how well they listen. When we do see some real life cases, we send them around as a tip and trick. Hey, this this really happened. We've had a couple of spam attempts within the organization that didn't result in anything, but were at least worthy because they, you know, were people were connected to it because they could recognize a coworker. We obviously didn't call out the specific call, coworker, but we could say this happened to a coworker. So that that's the first tier. The second is we outsourced our SOC. So we have someone who's monitoring our logs. We're too small to have enough people internally, but we send them, they, they tell me something like 24 gigs worth of data a day that they're analyzing through our key systems to identify problems. And in the course of a month, they will identify a significant number of attempts or issues. If two thirds of them generally are false positives, and then one third of them get escalated to our team to analyze to see if, see if it's a real threat. Probably the thing that helps us the most besides those levels is MFA, multi factor authentication, we have found to be very, very valuable in our organization. There was a little bit of resistance to when we started it. And when we started it, we had a wider range of how long a device would stay trusted some experience, we lowered it. And that really made a big difference. It's such an interesting space to build business cases in. You know, when I think about even the build versus buy in a SOC, right? An outsourced SOC, or when you even think about something like implementing MFA, right? I mean, you're going to put in a new tool, but how does it help with the, with the false positives? How does it help, you know, take down just sheer ticket volume? How much does it help you sleep at night, right? There's got to be some financial line item there to it. You know, one of the things I've always appreciated about about you and just kind of observing how you work is, you know, how you, you know, you really believe in a partnership with vendors, you know, in, in working with them to achieve a mutual outcome. And one of the things that I've I've observed and, and that I've had just conversations with other CTOs, CIOs about is managing the performance of that outsourced SOC. Right? How do you how do you know that how do you know they're doing well? You know, how how can you be more objective? less subjective in that space. How do you think about that? I mean, I'm sure you're meeting with them weekly or monthly or whatever cadence you have, but like, how do you really kind of evaluate, hey, we're spending, you know, you said 24 gigs, you're spending a significant amount of money each month, right? 
how do you how do you say hey we're getting a return on this investment it's a very hard question to answer and within the whole security bucket you want to make smart choices you know and some of the numbers are just so expensive but you kind of look at it as an insurance and we don't you know we can't afford everything we know we can't so we're very particular on what we choose and we choose things that we think are going to help help us prevent the kinds of issues we, we may employ or we may see but to answer your question we look at we look at the metrics how many tickets are they responding to how quickly are they responding to them as i mentioned you know we had a couple of spam issues that we looked at were they there to help us how fast did they respond and you know part of it is we haven't had a, a problem right we're 18 months in and, and we have had a pretty secure environment so you know it's one of those things it's it, it's it's hard to prove an roi but you got to look you got to think about what is the objective of the tool and is it meeting that objective and so far we we think the tools we've picked have 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 met that objective and, and it's interesting because there's different tiers on all the tools so you know there's different they they have all the value added components that go along with it and we look at it and it's very easy to say we want to be most secure but you know between our virus protection our email gateway and and our firewall they if you said yes to all of them you'd have overlapping tools that may not be the most efficient use of your money so you've got to be clear on the objective of each of the tools map them out and and then make a decision there and and just analyze it yeah, you know, when you throw when you throw in the different levels of each tool, I mean, there's an endless combination of of you know weapons you can bring to the to the fight. There, just one other thing that just came up for me, you know, as I'm listening to you talk about it, right, is the importance of you being in communication with your executive peers in the company because it's really a situation, right, where you're saying, "Hey, there is a risk. We know there's a risk. Here's what I'm doing, and I believe it's you know the best for these reasons." But understand that there is still a risk, right? We all need to be acknowledging that here, you know, and be in alignment about the actions we're taking to prevent it. You know, it's a fascinating space for a lot of reasons, the, you know, the business case and, and those dynamics, but also just the, the human aspect of, you know, a collective response to risk. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, I, I think I'm pretty lucky that both our CFO, my CFO and my CEO are very understanding. They're very understanding of the security space and they understand the implications of it. So our conversations aren't about, aren't about line item spend. I still have a budget. I still have a target, but they understand the nature of security and, and they're very, we have good conversations around. Having worked with you, I'm not surprised that the conversations aren't about line item spend. And I, I know, I know that anyone who's worked with you is, is trusting that you are being very efficient with those dollars. So <laughs> I hate um, waste. Yeah, I still hate waste. I know you do. I know you do. It, it's it, you know, it's a, it's an interesting as a as a, a public acknowledgement and recognition. You know, it's a little bit of our recipe. It's something that you left here, and something that you know when we bring on new team members. You know, it's something we look to look to instill really as you know as a value or as a core competency. Right. I mean, we want to be very efficient and partner with our clients to be very efficient. So, you know, thanks for thanks for that leave behind here as part of our culture. <laughs> No, happy to be a part of that. Philip, before we let you out and really want to appreciate and, and say thanks to 
you joining and I feel like I learned something from you every time I talk to you. Let's let's get you out on here on a couple fun little topics we ask all of our guests. So the first one's one piece of tech you couldn't live without. It can be hardware, software, something you use for your work or your life. Can't say your phone though. Yeah, no. Well, we all know. I mean, I put so much into my phone. If I tried to travel without my phone, I was actually thinking I should bring a spare phone. Because if I ever lost my phone, I wouldn't know where I was going. I would have no Uber. But we all have that issue. But when I think about it, you're not going to be surprised by my answer. It's my email gateway. It's the thing that keeps the spam out. It's the thing that does its best to keep the spam out. It's the thing that protects. It's our first line of defense in protecting the organization. It's the thing that gives me at least a little solace so I can sleep at night. So it's my email. It's my email gateway. For Christ's sakes, do not buy the Google gift cards, guys. And lastly, what's one hot tech stock that you, you know, we try to make some people money if they, if they linger on this podcast long enough. Do you have anything <laughs> that, that you think is hot right now? Yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny. There's, I'm not a great stock picker, but I will tell you one sector that I'm looking at. And, you know, I think it's solar technology. I think that solar panels have been around forever, but they're not attractive. They're hard to install. There's all these issues around it. But companies are starting to make uh, solar shingles, which can just be installed like any other roofing that can help generate power. And I think it's a pretty hot area. I think it's a great way to easily allow houses to generate some electricity on their own. And it's weird because, you know, what we've just been talking about is is cloud infrastructure consolidation. And this is one area where I believe that distributed is better. You know, the sun can power every single house without diminishing its power. So why aren't we better leveraging it? And I think if there was some more aesthetically pleasing, cheaper solutions, it could do really well. So watch, watch the solar shingles market. Tesla does it. But as you can imagine, the Tesla solution is pretty expensive. So we've got to wait and see if that, that comes down a little bit. But you can buy a car on a roof at the same time. There you go. Well, there's, there's a company out there called Sunrun. Their tickers are UN that I've, I've been in and out of. And it's, it's in that space. So check it out if you guys want something specific. But if not, I think you're right. Just that's a, that's, it's an emerging market, right? We keep hearing it. I keep driving by company or by, by houses that, that have the, the latest and greatest, but it's just going to get better and more affordable. I'm surprised. I'm really surprised Philip didn't go with you know the security sector, cybersecurity sector. <laughs> I think the last three or four we've had have been. I don't necessarily have a specific one for you, but you know cybersecurity sector, and I think Nick Nick starts pumping CrowdStrike at that point. But got it. Um, got it. <laughs> well, you know the the other non technical one is cannabis. The whole cannabis market is doing really well, but. I don't have any opinion there. That may be too too politically charged. <laughs> it, it does seem clear that the political environment is shifting on that. GRWG, just check it out. Just check it out. We got we got one for anyone. You know, whatever your flavor is here, we got a ticket for you. I promise. <laughs> Nick is Nick is CNBC over here. Philip, it was really really great having you on. You know, enjoyed catching up with you. You know, excited to to stay in touch and see you know see your continued success. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Good talking to you guys, as always. Absolutely. That's a wrap. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Man, Kyle, it's awesome talking to a resource of alum. And it's so obvious 
the translation of skills that he took from being here. Obviously, this guy is an experienced CTO. He's he's been it. He's done it. He comes here a couple years, helps resource him grow, and then he's on to his next really platform. Really excited. Really cool to hear his perspective. Yeah, I love seeing it. Right, and and you know, I I have conversations with with Philip, not as much as I would like, but still, you know, reach out to him, talk about you know, what's transferable from here to the new gig, what he's seeing out in the market, you know, love talking with that guy. It's interesting. We say it, I feel like weekly, definitely internally, maybe not externally, the growth in healthcare, private equity portfolio companies. I mean, this is the play. We see it over and over again. Why do you think that is? Yeah. I mean, well, especially the platform play. We see that one a lot. In private equity, right? V- VC, you end up seeing a lot more of the health tech, but in private equity, where it's really more, hey, we're focused on running operational businesses, right? We want to take solid businesses, make them better. I think the the reason we see a lot of the roll-ups and the, the platform play in healthcare is a lot of the overhead is really complex in healthcare, right? Everything from from how they actually get paid by insurers, you know, things like the the electronic medical records that, that Philip was talking about. So there's there's this, you know, heavy overhead burden. I don't even want to say it's bloated, right? It's necessary for the industry. But if you can have a really solid platform, get those things operationally right, operationally tight, and then pull in new businesses, new locations, new markets, and take something that works and apply it. It seems to be successful. It's definitely something a lot of the private equity firms we work with are, are looking at or, or already executing. Yeah, and it's three to five years, sprint, grow, sell, and on to the next one. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting. I mean, look, clearly it's a strategy that works, right? You kind of see this. We've seen a, a handful of cycles in this in this now, right? You see, you see a firm execute on a strategy. Other ones are like, oh, wow, that's pretty good results, pretty good returns. Let's go execute on that strategy, right? And everyone's going to find a little bit different flavor how to do it, you know, their, their own recipe for success, but the dollars make sense. That's right. Well, cool. Look, I, I'm biased. I love these IT leader conversations. The carriers are fantastic, but it is great to hear someone who's in it like we are. Thanks again to Philip. Check them out, and we'll be back next week with another one. Thanks for listening to The Wrap, Resourceive as a podcast. For more information about Resourceive and how we are creating value for our clients, find us at resourceive.com or reach out to us directly at therap at resourceive.com.